Okay, so to start off, let me uh, quickly tell a, an experience that I had yesterday as we were driving to the church building to drop off our kids for the youth devotional that they were headed to. Very simply, I was driving, so I'll pretend I've got my hands on the steering wheel here, and we were coming down 231, about to cross Highway 14, where we would eventually merge into that right lane that kind of brings you to downtown. And I hear one of the kids in the back seat say, that guy over there is on his cell phone. And I, you know, I'm driving, about to merge, and I look over, and uh, I'm kind of looking, and, and sure enough, that fella right over there, he's got his phone right in his hand, and he's, he's got the other hand on the steering wheel, and he's looking down, and, and I was just staring at him with just firm indignation about how he was not looking at the road, and, and I, I, I audibly said aloud, he's going to get someone killed. And as, as soon as those words had left my mouth, I brought my eyes back to the center <laughs> and had to uh, get over rather quickly so I didn't hit the little concrete uh, triangle-shaped thing and up and hit a pole. So I tell you that story to say, uh, often when we do lessons, as, as we're going to do here in just a moment, one of the things that we tend to do is we think about that person amongst us who really needed that lesson. You know, uh, Jason, how many times have you heard Uncle Randy, as you come out, say, you know, she needed that and she needed that. Uncle Randy, if you're watching. Uh, you know, so I, I would like to encourage us this morning uh, as we talk about some of the things that I've prepared to discuss, let's try really, really hard, uh, as hard as we can, to not allow some other individual in the congregation to enter our minds and us uh, psychoanalyze them and, and think about how wonderfully this lesson will apply to them. Let's maybe think about how we can do some things to better ourselves and maybe see if some of these things uh, maybe fall upon us. As, as I've done the last couple of times that I've had the opportunity to preach, and as we'll be doing again this morning, we're going to continue our, our thought process on how we as Christians use our words, the things that we say, and what we talk about. In the past, uh, the first lesson that I, I brought to you was, was criticism, how we give out and how we accept the criticisms that we experience in our daily lives. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked how we... Uh, handle gossip and, and the pitfalls and the dangers that come with speaking gossip and even listening to gossip. Uh, I want to begin by uh, reading you some snippets from, uh, you know, just the other day I was perusing through Harvard Business Review, as I often do from time to time. And uh, I just stumbled upon this article just, you know, just by chance. I'm so sarcastic this morning. Uh let me, let me read the first paragraph, and then I'll give you the title. It goes like this. Lisa couldn't stand it any longer. Every time she met her colleague Peter, one of her senior executives at the large retail chain where they both worked, he would begin an endless lament about his work, the government, and his personal life. After listening to Peter's moaning, it didn't take long before she experienced a claustrophobic reaction. It didn't help that Whenever Lisa tried to reframe Peter's situation more positively, he would revert back to his negative 
or negativity. Peter's constant grumbling, whining, and lamenting was toxic for everyone, himself included. This article is entitled, Managing a Chronic Complainer. And really, the the premise of the article was dealing with leaders and how they can help their their workers not be that chronic uh, complainer and that toxic person in the workplace. Let me me give you a little bit of what we read in this article. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but I do want to give you some of it. Research shows that chronic complaining, like this individual's, Peter's, it has a psychological effect, not only on the individual, but others around them. The repetition of bad, sad, mad, and powerless feelings uh, eventually causes neurotransmitters in the brain to go through what scientists call a neural rewiring, which reinforces negative thought patterns, which makes it easier for unhappy thoughts to repeat themselves, leaving little room for more positive feelings of gratitude, appreciation, and well-being. The long and short of it is, that's a bunch of big fancy words for saying, if you're always complaining, you're reprogramming your brain to only hear negative things and not hear positive things. You're reprogramming your brain to only complain and never have anything good to say. A continuous cycle of negative thoughts may even cause damage to the, and the word looks like it says hippocampus, but that's not how the word is pronounced, uh, But this is a part of the brain that uses problem-solving and cognitive functioning. Constant complaining can actually damage parts of your brain. Um, Complainers become negativity addicts. They're attracted to, we're all familiar with this word, drama. Attracted to drama that comes with a complaining attitude. The article goes on to talk about how chronic complainers also have damaging effects not only on themselves, but people that they are surrounded by. They transfer these negative feelings onto other people. Psychologists call this projective identification. And what they eventually do is is they use other people, this author calls, calls, calls this using other people like a trash can, like a dumpster. They take all of their complaints and they dump them on you and you leave feeling burdened from their complaints when you yourself had none your own. Going on, as social beings, our brains unconsciously mimic the method and moods of other people around us. This neural marrowing, however, has a flip side. People who complain about everything, they become contagious. And before we realize it, what are we doing? We too are finding things to complain about. Uh, In many cases, chronic complaining starts early in life as a means of gaining visibility and establishing rapport in family. Maybe it begins at such a young age where there's someone in a a home who they don't feel recognized, they don't feel important, they don't feel noticed, and the only way to get noticed is to complain. And that is how they learned, that is how they grew and turned into an adult who still finds things to complain about on a regular basis as a chronic complainer. Um, these early experiences can become deeply ingrained patterns of behavior. The author talks about this is probably why Peter, the guy in the story at the beginning, constantly complains. This would explain why he reacts poorly to advice. Have you ever noticed this? We'll talk about this a little bit later on, but you ever notice somebody who's just a constant complainer, you try and give them some advice to help them with their situation, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear the good advice, they don't want to listen to good advice, and they'll always say, that's not a good idea, that's not going to work because all they want to do is complain. 
This is why people often react poorly to advice because resolving their problems would take away the reason to complain and it's threatening their sense of self. You know, it it is who they are. And I'm here to tell you this morning as we look at some passages from Scripture, if that is who we are, we got to change who we are. We've got to be a different kind of person. Thank you for that amen. I didn't get one a couple of weeks ago when I asked for one. I finally got one. Y'all don't know what that does for a preacher. Appreciate that, Jeremy. Uh, Okay, last couple of things in this article. Uh, The author goes on to talk about how we need to help people cultivate an attitude of gratitude. They kind of give some quick solutions at the end, and they don't really dive into it very deeply, which we'll try and do here in just a moment. But some of the things they encourage Lisa to do for Peter is help him cultivate an attitude of gratitude, help him shift his attention from complaining to counting his blessings, and of course, uh, creating such a behavior, uh, a behavior change is something that does take time and it is a gradual process. Eventually, people, let me read this last little two, two sentence paragraph. While chronic complainers appear to be harmless on the surface, some people might say, well, what bad is it really just complaining and being unhappy all the time? Chronic complainers appear to be harmless on the surface. They owe it to their colleagues and themselves to regulate. Their behavior, eventually people will tire of negativity. Peter needs to realize that the squeaky wheel doesn't always get the grease. Sometimes they just get replaced. Now think about that. I don't know about you, but I enjoy the company of you guys. And I would hate to find that I get replaced And I don't get to spend as much time with you guys as I had in the past because of my complaining because I need you guys. And wouldn't you hate to find out that you're the person that got replaced because of the negativity when you need all of us? In another article, and then we'll dive into the sermon here in just a second. In another article I found on a blog, it was just a leadership blog, and it talked real quickly about what a chronic complainer is. And it kind of helped me understand a little bit better when we start reading some of these passages we'll look at in just a moment. Uh, This author gives about seven things um, what a chronic complainer is. A chronic complainer is someone who, one, is seeking validation. They constantly complain because they're looking for attention. You know, when you're complaining, people listen to you intently because they think you have something important to say, or at least the complainer thinks they have something important to say. Number two, a complainer is someone who feels powerless. They're complainers because they see themselves as weak and the circumstance as powerful. So they they feel powerless. Number three, they feel powerful when they complain. The only thing weakness can do is affirm itself and disrupt others. Number four, they don't see themselves as pollution. They don't don't realize that they're bringing everybody else down. Number five, I like how how he writes this, uh, complainers cuddle with problems and bristle at solutions. Newsflash, chronic complainers aren't seeking advice. Number six, complainers play it safe. It's easy to complain. It's hard to seek a solution and put it into action. Uh, And seven, complainers blame others. It's the boss's fault. It's the co-worker's fault. It's the wife's fault. It's the weather's fault. It's always something other than themselves. Chronic complainers are blamers. Chronic complainers are happy with themselves, but not with others. 
Complaining makes us unattractive. And we all like to look attractive. I mean, how many of us, I would say most, you know, I'm trying to pick, who can I pick on? Let's see. Maybe Jeff didn't, but the rest of us looked in the mirror this morning to see how we looked before we walked out the door. You know, we, we, we like to appear attractive, so we work on things. You know, we, we buy a new pair of shoes. We put our fancy socks on that have Shannon's face all over them. You know, we put on a tie, we brush our teeth, we put on deodorant, we put on some cologne, we, we straighten this, we straighten that, and then we work on our words and we try and be, you know, a, a happy individual. We care, at least we should, about what people think of us to a degree. So when we're a complainer, we become unattractive. Uh, and I'm not just talking about physically, and more importantly, we become unattractive to our Christian brethren when we need them and they need us. And we become unattractive to people in the world who need to see Jesus living in us. And we can't do a good job of that when we are a complainer. It kills our example, and it drives people away. It is a difficult habit to break, but it is something that needs to be done. You know, it is complaining is part of our conditioning as we grow up in our culture. I don't know how many of you realize this as you look around our culture today, but com complaining is just what everybody does. Uh, very specifically, it is in the news so much that I just can't watch it anymore. I haven't watched the news in over a year now. I feel like I'm a better person because of it. At least I hope I am. But do you remember back when COVID first started, it was, the, it was like a national shutdown, and the news every day was about how many people had it, how many people were dying, all the terrible things that are going on in the world. The news is reporting on the wars and the deaths and the crime and the crooked politics and None of the politicians can get along. And, and eventually, in the midst of all that, uh, uh, an actor named John Krasinski, I think I'm saying his name right, he came out with a, I don't know if you want to call it a, like a vlog. It was just his personal video camera in his home. He put on a suit, sat down at a table, and he did something called Some Good News, S-G-N, I believe. I'm getting that right. And all he did was report on things that he could learn from the Internet that were good things, that was good news. And I tuned in and watched some of that, and I thought, this, this right here is what we need. Instead of just whining and complaining and being sad all the time, we need some good news. You know, that, that's what we as Christians should be for the world around us. That is what we as Christians should be to the lost in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and young people in your schools we should be a source of some good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. What do we really have to complain about? When Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross for our sins, Paul wrote the book of Philippians as he was in prison. And in Philippians 1 and verse 27, he says, Only let your conduct, your conduct, the way you live your life, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of of Christ. Let your let the way that you live be worthy to what the gospel of Christ is and gave to you. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, whichever way I hear about you guys, he says, that I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit 
with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul says, I want to hear that you're living for the gospel, the good news, the way that you're living your life. That's what I want to hear. So, so what does the Bible have to say about grumbling and complaining and whining? Well, one chapter later, as uh, Reese read for us a moment ago in our scripture reading, verses 14 and 15 of Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You see, in the, in the unhappy, complaining, unsatisfied, lacking contentment world that we live in, we as Christians spreading the gospel get to be a source of light and joy for those around us. But only if we're not always walking around complaining about every single thing that is going wrong in life. Let me real quickly give you four types of complainers. I'm, I'm going to give you four types of complainers this morning, and then I'm going to give you five things that we can do to make sure that we're not a complainer. You might say, Brent, that sounds like a whole lot that you're going to try and cover there. But I would like to remind you, and especially for our visitors who are brand new and don't know this, our services on Sunday morning do not conclude until 1130. For you who are visiting with us, you might say, what? But that's the truth. Elders, back me up on this. Is that right? Our worship service lasts... <laughs> until 11.30. See, it is the truth. It is the truth. So when I finish before 11.30, you should go, hey, good job, Brent. If we do that. <laughs> uh, okay, there's, there's four types of complainers, and th this won't take very long. The first is the whiner. The whiner is an individual who just wakes up with a negative attitude. Their, their statement that they make most often is, that's not fair. That's just not fair. You know, why did, why did they get that and I didn't get that? Well, why is she always looking like that and I can't look like that? Or why did he get the job and I, I was supposed to get the job? Or how did he get around all those cars? Look, he's making it through the light. I'm going to get stuck on it. It's not fair. That's the whiner. Probably one of the more typical complainers that we experience Jesus mentions this kind of individual in Matthew chapter 10, uh, rather uh, chapter 20, in verses 11 and 12. And I'm not going to take this parable out of context. I do just want you to notice something. In the midst of this parable, Jesus is talking about those individuals that were paid a certain amount when they agreed to work for this master. They were paid, they were, I'm sorry, they were paid the same amount, but they started working at different times of the day. And at the conclusion of the work being done, at the conclusion of the day, all these people were paid the same thing. And let's look at what, what happens here in verses 11 and 12 of Matthew chapter 20. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men, they have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. We've been here all day, and you're paying us the same thing that you're paying them that have only worked an hour? And the individual goes on to explain that, well, you agreed. I said, would you work today? And they said, yes, we will, and I'll pay you this. Well, okay, that sounds like a good deal. What's it to you? You know, some people are just like that. Whiners go around saying that things just aren't fair, kind of like sometimes I do on Facebook. Uh, you know, Walmart's out of mustard, 
Or Walmart's got buggies that wheel, the wheels just won't drive straight for crying out loud, get some new buggies, Walmart. There's nobody at the sports desk in the back to sell you anything in the glass case. You know, so some of us, we, we find all kinds of ways to vent our, our frustrations, our little tiny, minute things in life. And it really hurts our influence. Really hurts our influence. So you got the whiners. Secondly, you got the martyr. The martyr. Um, I'm sometimes accused of doing this as well. And that is the individual who is doing things for others and at the conclusion of doing things for others isn't happy with the reception of the things done and they start to complain, I can't, I can't believe that you're not happy with what I have done for you. This is the kind of person, their favorite saying is, no one appreciates me. That's, that's the martyr. These people are always having pity parties when things don't go their way and they let everyone know about it. We read about this in Numbers chapter 11. Moses, great guy. Did he complain some? Sure did. Did he have a reason to? I suppose. But he, in this particular passage, you see him being this type of whiner, a martyr. Numbers 11, if you want to turn over and read with me, this is verses 11 through 15. Numbers 11. 11 through 15. So Moses said to the Lord, why have you afflicted your servant? You know, he's hearing all the whining and complaining of the Israelites. Like, Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt? And we don't have food and we don't have fresh water and we're going to die. We'd be better off back in Egypt. And Moses says to God, why have you afflicted your servant, me, Moses? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you swear to their fathers? This, to me, this really sounds whiny. Moses is saying, I'm not their literal parent. I'm not carrying them in my womb to Egypt. Oh, sorry, to, to the promised land. Uh, For they weep all over me saying, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now if I have found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. Any of us ever talked like that? All I've done for you people. All I've done for you, and this is, this is what I get in return. How many of us as parents have acted that way? The martyr. The third one is the cynic. The cynic, and this is where we'll go to the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon fits this category. The cynic is the individual who's like, well, we're all going to die. You know? This is it. Nothing can be fixed. Nothing can be made better. I, I, this is the end of me. I'm going to fail. I'm going to be fired. I'm going to lose my job. She's going to leave me. You know, it's just, the, you know, the world is just kaput. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 you remember Solomon writes this because he's been searching for, for the, a reason for existence. And, and we do know as he gets to the conclusion of the book of Ecclesiastes, he realizes what the meaning of life is. But here in the early part of the book of Ecclesiastes, he hasn't gotten there yet. And this is what he says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. That's five vanities just in a few words there. He says, What profit has a man from all his labor? in which he toils under the sun. One generation passes away, and another generation comes, but the earth abides 
forever. He says, you know, all this work I've done, all the toiling and working for my job, and what do I get? Nothing. That's the cynic. Uh, A few verses later, verse 9 of Ecclesiastes 1, that which has been is what will be, and that which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. The cynic. And fourthly, the fourth complainer is the perfectionist. Now, the perfectionist, uh, you know, they get down on themselves, but they also get down on others. And that is they're expecting everything to always go as planned, happen exactly like they have prepared for, and it doesn't always happen. They can't make things be perfect, and so they find things to complain about. Their famous phrases phrases are phrases such as, is that the best you can do? Or, don't you want excellence? Try harder. Uh, A couple of passages that I I think maybe, in in a way, convey this thought is one found in Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 15. Now, the New King James says this, Proverbs 27, 15, a continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. And I'm not going to pick on the women, but what the author is trying to get at is, is that, you know, a husband with his wife who's always nagging him and never pleased with anything that he's doing and he can't do anything right, it's like just a drip, 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 drip that never ceases. A, a version of the Bible that I'm not familiar with, uh, the GNB, uh, and I thought I wrote down what that stands for, but I don't remember. That version words that passage this way, a nagging wife is like water going drip, drip, drip on a rainy day. Uh, In chapter 21 of Proverbs, verse 19, New King James says, better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. Now this other version says, better to live out in the desert than with a nagging, complaining wife. And, uh, you know, there's absolute truth to that. We, We don't want to be married to someone who's never happy with anything that we do. That everything that we do is an epic failure. We're we're always at fault. We can't meet any expectations. Wives don't want to be married to a husband like that. Husbands don't want to be married to a wife like that. That is the perfectionist, someone who is never happy with anything. So, you know, we look at these, these passages and we talk about some of these types of people and we... Take our minds back to Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, and we understand that God instructs us as his children to not be and to not have a complaining attitude. We know that to be fact because we find it in Scripture. So what can we as Christians today do about it? What is the solution? What can we do to make sure that we're not that type of person so that we can be the right kind of influence to people around us. I'm going to give you those five things right now. Number one, the first thing that you need to do is the same thing that any person suffering from substance abuse has to do in order to get clean, and that is admit you have a problem. So again, back to what I said at the beginning of the the lesson this morning. Let's don't think about the people in the audience who struggle from this. Let's ask ourselves, is this something that I struggle with, and do I need to make some changes in my own life? The first step is you have to admit that it is something that you struggle with. Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them 
will have mercy. To fix the sin in our lives, we have to confess the sin in order to begin the changes. And this is probably the hardest thing that we have to do in in the things that we're going to suggest here is recognizing that we ourselves are the ones suffering from this problem. It is so easy. And we talked about it in our young adult class. Allison brought up the passage uh, from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is discussing how, you know, if you got that beam sticking out of your eye, how are you going to go and help someone else with the speck in theirs? It's so easy to see the speck and so difficult to see the beam in our own eyes. If someone recorded our voices for an entire week of everything that we said, what would it reveal concerning our speech? What, what would we hear? Things that were negative or things that were positive. Would we hear someone that we would want to be around or someone we would try to avoid? Complaining is not only a bad habit, it goes directly against the will of God. We have to admit that we have a problem. God did not want the the nation of Israel to be complainers. In fact, God condemned the nation of Israel because of their complaining. And they complained all the way from Egypt and all the way to the promised land. In Numbers, uh, I'm not going to give you all these scripture references. If you feel like you need them, I'll give them to you later. But for time's sake, all the things that they complained complained about on their journeys, they complained about what they had to drink, what they had to eat, the fact that they were missing out on the the good food that was back in Egypt. They complained about their leaders. They complained about what they were giving, and and they were complaining about how much of what they were given was given. They had eventually developed this grumbling, complaining attitude of which God says in Numbers 11 and verse 1, Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, his anger was was aroused. In fact, you read further on into Numbers chapter 11, you'll see that God punished the nation of Israel by consuming some of its people with a fire, executing them because of their complaining. God said in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 29 and following that complainers were not going to be able to enter into the promised land. And because of their complaining, wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and eventually losing their lives. You want to conquer the the complaining that you have in your life. Admit you have a problem. Number two, accept responsibility for our own lives. I say this, let's just brush over this one real quick here. Many times the things that we complain about, we have brought them upon ourselves because of our poor decisions. You ever heard the expression, "You, you, you made your bed, now sleep in it? That's harsh. That's harsh. It's real harsh when someone says, well, you made your bed, now sleep in it. Well, what what I think we should gain from this is is the fact that many times the complaints that we have are an attempt to blame other people and blame circumstances, but the reason that we are complaining about these things that we're experiencing is because we made poor decisions. So what can we do? Let's make some better decisions. Make some better choices. Proverbs 19 and verse 3 says, When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, it's his folly, it's his foolishness. His foolishness has brought upon him some hardship, ruin. When that happens, the the wise man says, His heart rages against the Lord. He wants to point and blame others. You know, God comes down to earth, walks in the garden, and says to Adam, Adam, what have you done? My wife gave it to me. 
You know, that's, that's what we do. But what do we need to do is we need to accept responsibility for our actions, not complain about how uh, things happen when it's of our own fault. We're free to choose what we will do in our lives. We're free in how we'll react and respond. We're free to say whatever we wish. God gives us all these abilities, gives us free will. But once we make a choice, we're no longer free to complain about the consequences of that choice. People complain about being in debt. They're spending all their money. People complain about not having this and not having that, but they're sitting on their behind not working for this or for that. People find all kinds of things to complain about, and often it's because they're not willing to accept responsibility for themselves. I found this on the Internet, and I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, there's three types of people in life. Three types of people. The accuser, the excuser, and the chooser. You know, when, when it comes to complaining, many people, they just blame others. Many people make excuses about life circumstances. You know, I was born this way. I was born into this, and this is how I was raised. It's, it's, it's not my fault. But then there are those people who are choosers. They choose to make a change, make a difference, and be better. Admit that you have a problem. Accept the responsibility. And thirdly, and this, this right here is the solution. This is the antidote to all the complaining in life. Have an attitude of gratitude. And the Bible is chocked full of this. And for time's sake, we cannot look at all of it, but I'll give you just a few. The first one is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. This is my favorite Bible verse. This is a verse that I have at the bottom of all of my stationery when I mail somebody a letter. This verse is at the bottom. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything. Now, it, it doesn't mean you have to thank God for the terrible, sinful thing that is happening to you, uh, that someone else is placing upon you, but you can still be thankful in the situation. Not for the situation, but in the situation. And in everything, give thanks. Look around for the silver lining. You're driving down the road and you're stuck in a traffic jam. Be thankful that you're in a motorized car that's working. You know, you're stopped for many, many, many hours and you're going to be late for your appointment. Be glad you got some air conditioning in the summer and heat in the winter. Your car breaks down. You got a flat tire and you pull over on the side of the road and you're going to miss the event. Be thankful that you weren't in a terrible auto accident. Be thankful that you have working arms and legs that you can change your tire. You, know, there, you can find a silver lining in just about everything. You're going through the worst experience in your life. You know, you name it. Death, disease, heartache, loss of a loved one, you still have heaven waiting on the other side. Look for the silver lining. Develop an attitude of gratitude. Philippians 4 and verse 11, Paul says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Be content. Be thankful. The psalmist writes in, in numerous passages, Psalm 7, 17, I will give thanks to the Lord because of His righteousness. Psalm 9, 1, I will, I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. Psalm 35, 18, I will give you thanks, I will praise you. Psalm 69, 30, magnify Him with thanksgiving. 
Psalm 95, 1 through 3, come before his presence with thanksgiving. Psalm 104 through 5, be thankful to him. Psalm 106 and verse 1, for he is good, he is merciful, and his mercy endures forever. That's just a tiny little snippet of everything that you can find in God's word. Jesus Christ died on the cross for yours and my sins. And because of that, we have a hope of heaven one day. Have a, an attitude of gratitude. Fourthly, look for God's providence in your life. If you want victory over complaining, look around and try and find some things in your life that you think might be God working in it. Now, even Paul was hesitant to put his finger on something that was providentially God's doings. In fact, when Paul wrote to Philemon in the book of Philemon discussing the circumstance with Onesimus, Paul said, for perhaps, he didn't know for sure, but he said, maybe, maybe. And so what I encourage you to do is look around at your life and think maybe, man, I got this flat tire. I was talking to Alex about this the other day. That, you know, sometimes I'll have some kind of automotive incident where I broke down. You know, I grew up in the Rice family. We've never had the best vehicles. And sometimes you break down on the side of the road. And I think maybe, maybe this is God keeping me from some terrible automobile accident way on down the line. I don't know. But if you start doing that with everything that goes bad in your life, the complaining quickly goes away and the thankfulness quickly sets in. Try and look for the providential workings of God in your life. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 17, he says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, that's life. Life is a, is a light affliction. There's a lot of heartache, but it's, it's you know, Comparing it to what Paul's about to mention here, it's small and it's temporary. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, let's don't focus on life. He says, not on the things that are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Try and find some things in your life that you could consider the providential workings of God. When, when we complain, I'm basically saying that if I were God, I would do it this way. We're complaining. Our complaining is, is kind of like the Israelites. It's rebellion against God. I'm questioning God's wisdom. I'm doubting God's love. I'm forgetting God's goodness when I complain. And fifthly this morning, Practice speaking positively. Now, that sounds so cliche and silly, but if you're an individual who struggles with the complaining, start working on some good things that you can say. Get, get a note card. Write some things down that you should be being happy about and things that you should say on a regular basis. Put it in your pocket. And when you find yourself complaining, whoop that note card out and start reading about some things that you can be happy for and, and say them out loud. Brag on other people. Compliment someone. Tell someone that you're so proud of this person over here. Don't always be talking about how you can't stand so-and-so and you can't stand so-and-so. Find something to say positively. Paul says in Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that means here's what should come out of your mouth. What is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. 
know, the Bible tells us that we're going to give account of every word that comes out of our mouth. What do you want God to be reading from the book of life when he discusses your life and the words that you said? What are the results in our lives from not complaining? You got to go back to Philippians chapter 2 and look at verse 15, which is right after verse 14, numerically, obviously. But in verse 14, he said, don't grumble and complain. And then in verse 15, he tells us what the outcome will be, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault. You're telling me if I'll stop complaining and grumbling, but I'll start being positive and I'll start saying good things, what will I become, Brent? Well, the Bible says I'll be blameless. I'll be harmless. I'll be the children of God. I'll be without fault. And even though I'm in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, I'll be able to shine as a light in this world. I know it's, it kind of sounds so cheesy when you say it like this, but get rid of the negative talk and say good things. Because we as Christians, of all people in this world, have the most to be thankful and grateful for. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a child of God. I want to encourage you, become a Christian. Become a Christian by repenting of the sins that you have in your life. Confess that Christ is Lord and Savior. And be immersed in water so those sins can be washed away. We have a baptistry back here behind me that is prepared. And if that is what you need, we'll study with you. We'll talk with you. We'll pat you on the back. You can be baptized into the Lord this very morning. Maybe you already are a child of God, but somewhere in your life you've made some mistakes, as we all do. Maybe you're a person who wants to change from being the complainer to someone who is one who brags and says good things and positive things. Maybe you just need prayers of strength and encouragement. Maybe you have a sin in your life that you need to repent of. If we can help you in any way, please come right now while we stand and sing.